0: Uh, We all have that yearning for home, and at the deepest level, it is the yearning for um, finding that inner equal poise that you were just describing so well, and getting past that alienation, that alienation of separation—
1: Hey everyone, it's Ragu back with Mind Rolling, and I'm here with uh, Steve Kanji Rule, and known as Kanji. And you'll get an idea of his background, which is in Zen. It's kind of a, a combination of of Zen and rural the the whole your whole thing in this. He has a wonderful book by Appalachia Zen, which is what we're talking about right now uh, about the what happened to him living in a rural you in a rural area and uh coming out of that kind of escaping that whereas many people did not as you point out in the book Um, so it's a it's a strange combination that's very intriguing so welcome kanji
0: oh thank you ragu it's wonderful to be here thank you for having me
1: absolutely so, yeah, talk about what was going on there, rural, I think, in Pennsylvania, right? That's right. And, uh, yeah, what was happening, and how did you even get a glimpse of an idea that there was a, a way to balance truth, et etc.?
0: Mm-hmm. Great question. Great question. Thank you. What was happening in rural Pennsylvania when I was growing up there in the late 60s and early 70s? is that it was an area that was culturally steeped in violence. And it was also a time, uh, as people who lived through that period will recollect, of tremendous cultural transformation. So, uh, at that period, when I was a teenager in the late 60s and early 70s, I was very much inspired by the cultural transformations that were taking place. Uh, of course, uh Ramdas, whom you're very familiar with, was, mm-hmm. was an integral part of that. Uh-huh. So, um, all of that was extremely exciting to me. And it even penetrated the remote area of uh, the central Appalachian region of Pennsylvania that I was living in. But uh, where I was living, uh, my involvement in those transformations of consciousness uh, was very, uh, very unique. It was... Um, something that I was involved in almost uh, independently of of other people. So uh, having those cultural influences uh, of music and uh, literature was uh, tremendously transformative for me, but also it was a, a lonely journey of working my way through this culture of violence that manifested in my own personal experience as... Um, violence uh, directed toward me personally, yeah. uh, not within my family, which was a very loving, supportive family, fortunately, yeah. but uh, within um, within that environment. And so it left me with a lot of um, post-traumatic trauma. And uh, eventually finding Zen practice uh, helped me to realize uh, a path forward. And as the book, Appalachian Zen... Uh, demonstrates that path forward really had to do with finding the true home. And in uh, Buddhism, the true home is uh, that place within each of us. It's an inner heartland. We could call it original Buddha nature. It's accessible to all of us anytime and any place. It's really a matter of finding um, this inner equilibrium and... uh, being in this moment, in this place, and being fully alive and that with whatever arises. And it's very healing. It's healing of uh, soul injuries. And it was really a soul injury that had been experienced. And by soul, of course, I don't mean that's kind of perduring, uh, kind of ghost within the flesh that we encounter in Christian theology, not to be disparaging of that. But this is different. This is what... um, What I mean by soul is the deepest stratum of our psyche, that part of ourselves, which is ever-changing and impermanent, but which values intimacy and connection. And um, in the same way that spirit, that part of our psyche values transcendence. So to suffer a soul injury is a profound wound. And we all got them. We've now, all got we? them.
1: And by the way, I see no difference using that word soul. I mean, I have gone through so much when Ram Dass was alive and we were doing retreats uh, with him. People would come to Maui a couple of times a year. And inevitably, because we had all of these fantastic Buddhist friends, Ramdas in particular, and, but myself as well, they but... were always there as part of the program. And whenever he'd say soul refer in any way whatsoever he'd get all sheepish and he'd look and you know jack cornfield or somebody and uh, you know like getting approval and they would all laugh they loved it it was so great exactly but, but really yeah buddha mind soul i mean we have no idea what any of these things are and we get that idea through a little bit of practice of course but go back to this. so you're wait a minute now you're in school uh-huh. in that area High school, Mm -hmm. particularly. Mm -hmm. So was I. We're around. We're in the same era, and around probably around the same age. And I was going to high school, and it was a terrorizing atmosphere. Really? I mean, oh yeah. You know, it. And I was not. I was in Montreal in a in a more upscale area. Not not where you were. Mm -hmm. So. It, I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, how did you manage to get through it each day given, you know, obviously someone like you had a certain sense of, you know, sensitivity that uh, produced whatever has happened with you in this life and related to the spiritual path. But how did you navigate that day to day?
0: Well, thanks for asking me. Let me just let me just Hold off on that for just a moment because I'm really fascinated by what you just said. Tell me Mm. a little bit about, let's have a discussion about how you navigated it. How were you terrorized and how did you navigate it in an upscale area of Montreal? And then I'll share what I did.
1: Okay. Basically, I had gone to a parochial school. It is. So, for seven, eight years, whatever. Uh, And it was a religious school. I'm Jewish. And it was like Talmud Torah or Yeshiva, that kind of a thing. It was called Talmud Torah. It's the same as Yeshiva. Anyhow, my teacher in the earliest grades that I can recall is someone from the camps. Oh. And had, uh, you know, he had the tattoo, the number tattoo that they all had and was a very, I, I hate to, I don't want to blame anybody. Poor man was just, talk about traumatizing. We can't even begin to understand any of that. And, uh, but he was very angry, very unhappy, obviously. And that got transmitted. Somehow my sensitivity in relation to this uh, just Uh, absorbed this. And school became uh, a living trauma for me on a day-to-day basis. And yeah. then that translated in, I mean, ah. I'm being a little bit dramatic, I'm supposing. I mean, it wasn't all right. bad, ah. but for sure, that's what I do remember. And in high school, it was just a matter of, so how do I defend the sensitivity? You know, I had no understanding of any of that. But by that time, I could not absorb teaching uh, yeah. lessons. I could, I could not absorb it. I was yeah. so traumatized in that way. So then I just fell in with delinquents and, you know, I became delinquent myself to some, you know, like stealing my dad's car and going off racing in the streets, like a (laughs) Bruce Springsteen song. I lived that. I lived that. And uh, that was my whole experience. It's so much so that I was sent away to boarding school in in the States, in Connecticut. And, uh, you know, thank God I got... I, I found there was one teacher who cared and from, he was a French teacher, you know, and I was taking French cause I knew how to speak French because of being in Montreal. Anyhow, he basically saved my ass and I got, I graduated from there, but I still, you know, uh, to this day, Kanji, to this day, when I walk into, like I would take a granddaughter or, yo, t- take me to school, you know, occasionally cause I don't live that close, but, uh, just going into the school, it's like well, I don't know, uh, um, Willow. If I can handle this at this point, I yeah. tell you that's how uh, you know dramatic it was for me. Well,
0: thanks for sharing that, and I can hear that we do have some things in common that resonate. So I understand what you mean about the sensitivity and needing to numb to numb yourself to nah. protect that sensitivity. And also having a teacher um who had been traumatized himself, uh now being in the camps, uh, as you know from reading the book Appalachians, I spent um, a week on multi-faith uh pilgrimage at Auschwitz. And yep. so I had some first hand glimpses of uh, you know, that hell hell realm. Uh yep. but I can only begin to imagine what your teacher may have suffered and then what was transmitted to you. Uh, as trauma in that environment, yeah. and then having found uh, a teacher in boarding school who basically saved your ass. Yeah. Uh, you know, in my book Appalachian Zen, again, as you know, uh, uh, I also had a teacher who was uh, very salvific for me, uh, Bruce Bechtel, who uh, was enduring his own trauma as a closeted gay man uh, in a very uh, conservative, homophobic area. But he introduced me to an entirely uh, alternative mode of existence in a world that I barely knew existed, a Uh. world, a cosmopolitan world outside of rural Appalachian, Pennsylvania, of of books, and not only books, but of books in a rarefied realm of James Joyce and T.S. Eliot and Virginia Woolf whole new horizons for me, introduced me to mm-hmm. classical music and to art. And not only that, but befriended me and gave me sanctuary. And uh, because mm-hmm. of of that particular teacher and because I did have a loving home environment, um, I was saved from a fate that would have resembled yours in terms of stealing cars and becoming delinquent. I mean, I had my own sort of uh, you know misadventures, but I often think that if it hadn't been for a loving family and for the saving grace of a mentor, uh, Bruce Bechtel in school, in the midst of a school that was uh, characterized by uh, abusive teachers who Uh hit us and denied us the intellectual resources we deserved, I might have ended up in prison Uh because I would have been angry. I would have been bitter. I would have seen no way out. And I would have just been defiant mm. in a self-destructive way.
1: Yeah. Just look at it's going on now in spades, okay, in our schools in this country, particularly. Mm-hmm. And, and just look from where we were in school and dealing with what we're talking about, uh, how it seems to have advanced to even, uh, I would say, a, a more difficult Situation for kids that are in high school, I mean mm-hmm. really difficult, and look at the suicide rates of teenagers and all this stuff. It's just like a you know we're it's it's just very difficult very it's horrific difficult. yeah
0: it's horrific i I agree with you, I think about that too every time there's a new school shooting or some awful atrocity that occurs i I think of that as well absolutely absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. It's, so, it's, it's, really been a, it's really been a journey of healing. And this book, Appalachian Zen, is actually, to put it in context, um, it's one of three books. Uh, the first book I wrote, Enlightened Contemporaries, uh, focuses on Francis of Assisi and Dogen, who brought Soto Zen to Japan, and Rumi, the great Islamic mm. Sufi poet. Yeah. And the healing in that book is the healing of discovering the mystical path of the sacred. And by sacred, I mean um, a numinous reality. And a book I just finished writing uh, right after Appalachian Zen, The Whole Earth is Medicine, is about healing through discovering the power of the mind-body connection Mm. and and the life force. Yeah. Yeah. So Appalachian Zen um, is positioned between those two books. uh, And as we were saying, it's a healing journey available to all of us that really comes to a position of forgiveness and compassion, starting to realize uh, with time and with practice that the people who hurt me and who harmed me uh, were also very hurt themselves, very harmed themselves. And um, it's similar to your teacher having gone through the camps and transmitting his trauma to you and to others. Yeah, yeah.
1: So... The the first thing that I'm struck with uh, when I read the book is, which is a is a through line again. It's another through line through it uh, through this book, and mm-hmm. it's the idea of what home is. Mm-hmm. And uh, just in quoting it, sometimes we have a feeling of alienation, and that was absolutely. If there was one word, in terms of my teenage years and all of that stuff, with school and contemporaries and, and family, it was alienation. So really? good. I'm right there with you. We have been a wanderer and tried hard, but have never been able to reach our true home. However, we all have a home and this is our practice, the practice of going home. So uh, my own story, which I'm not sure you know what it is, but I'm going to mention it, is meeting Ramdas and uh you know i like the word you use uh for the teacher who gave you sanctuary right that's uh-huh. a good word i have i i, I want to kind of steal it in relation to what ramdas did when i first met him when i was running a radio station in montreal was create this sanctuary there was no richard alpert there was no ramdas there was what do i need what does I need to be fed by the universe in this sanctuary of just presence, Mm -hmm. and that led me to India, Mm -hmm. and to Ram. You know, Ram Dass talked a lot about his guru, and some of us, even though he said I can't tell you who it is or where it is, uh, but that's all he talked about, which he wasn't supposed to, which is a whole other tree. And we did get there, and I did get there. And nowadays, when people say to me, well, what was it like being with this, you know, an enlightened being or whatever? And yeah. and the first word out of my mouth, and probably ninety percent of the few hundred—that's all there was—a few hundred Westerners met this being. It was home, uh, and uh, it was the first thing that came out it, it, uh, out, yeah. of, uh, out of the ethers, practically, mm-hmm. to to have my any kind of contextuality through words. That meant anything with this ineffable thing. I mean, and people who've done psychedelics understand that immediately. In fact, that Ramdas himself said, "Without that, I might not have fully got, or grokked, is a better word from the old days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not have gotten it quite that way. Maybe not, but whatever it is, that that was a reality for us. And so, to me now, I know." Um, I'm well aware of the Zen tradition and its relationship with teachers or quote-unquote gurus <laughs> is um, maybe looks askance at the archetypical gurus that are coming over from the East uh. and have come here for a long time. Uh. I I would have to say that um, I have this... Uh, you, Roshi Joan Halifax, I think you know who Roshi is. I know,
0: yeah, I know Joan.
1: Yeah, so... We, you know, we've had. I've done been doing podcasts with her forever, and she's been at the Ramdas and been teaching in her retreats and so on. And I have this ongoing thing to the point where I said to her, "I mean, I wondered how the hell are you gonna, you're hanging out with Ramdas, and he's all, you know, it's all um, love and devotion, and you know, I know where you come from. It's not devoid of love because she's one of the most loving pr- people I know, right? That's and nice. I said. What do you see when you look at a picture of Neem Karoli Baba? And she just thought for a second and she said, When I look in his eyes, I see emptiness. Uh, uh-huh. And Ramdas himself, when he was asked to describe it, uh, he also said, Yeah, it's just he's empty. He's empty. And we all knew that there was no uh-huh. polarization anymore in this being. There was no me and you and we, them, nothing uh-huh. like that. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, so one of the thing I'm going on and on about my That's okay. thing, but I'm, we're just talking. Okay. so yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. So I, one of the things that I most appreciate I, in terms of the legacy that came back from Neem Karoli Baba, who never taught, never wrote a book, nothing. Literally. He would say things like Christ and Hanuman, the monkey God are the same. Stuff just, like that, where um, you know again, I was Jewish, so I had no relationship with Christ whatsoever when I went to India. Uh, but uh, the reality is that Buddhist, the, to me, the greatest thing that comes from Buddhism is the um, this absolute clarity, of uh this absolute this wisdom of uh being a balance really a balance and um we had he the only time he talked and in, in any kind of praise was to Tibetan teachers that we were seeing around that time. I'm talking Kalu Rinpoche, mm-hmm. Karmapa sixteen. Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, you know, these great, incredible free beings. And, right. uh, and that's who we, to this day, those right. of us, many of us that were there back in the day, really, really relate with and um, it's much, it's very much part of our practice, which includes bhakti yoga. Yeah. But a very balanced one. You know, and that it 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 makes a great difference. So I only offer that out in in terms of uh, I know, and you've said in the book, this is not a, a guru is not necessary without saying it quite like that. Yeah. the The path is the guru, and Thich Nhat Hanh says in this next stage, the satsang, the sangha is the guru.
0: Uh-huh. Anyhow, exactly I just, the,
1: the the idea of home. I don't think there's anything different. From how you're expressing it in this book and and quoting Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, than what I know it to be in relation to the uh, legacy that I met up with all those mm-hmm. years ago.
0: Absolutely, no, I agree, and thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. And there's a lot there. There's a lot in what you just shared um, in terms of alienation and finding home. Uh, you know, the ancient Greeks referred to nostos, what Odysseus. Uh, was experiencing in terms of his his deep yearning for home that propelled him through 10 years of getting back to Ithaca, this nostos of yearning for home. Uh, we all have that yearning for home. Yeah. And at the deepest level, it is the yearning for um, finding that inner equal poise that you were just describing so yeah. well. And getting past that alienation, that alienation of separation, and uh, so the emptiness uh, that uh, that you were describing also contains everything, obviously, and it's an emptiness that contains the whole universe when we're experiencing no separation and there is um, there is you know something of an innate suspicion in Zen Buddhism of. Um, of of gurus to use that word but there's also a a strong it's
1: like a crazy almost we've ruined just about every word in the english love
0: love that's weak you're weak love you know i mean it's insane yeah that's true when you get down to the semantics of it whereas love is actually it can be quite furious and quite quite powerful powerful. it's not weak at all Yeah, yeah it's very powerful yeah. But um, but Zen also, just to point out quickly, also has um, a strong tradition of uh, valuing, even revering a lineage of teachers and emphasizing the lineage of teachers and the Dharma transmission. So it's complicated in that way. But I think what you're pointing to also is um, the, the Zen tenet that ordinary mind is awakened mind, awakened mind is ordinary mind. And um, and again, it's accessible to every one of us. It's it's accessible right here, right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been working on something that uh, you're, which you're, which in different parts of this book really get pointed to, and it's. Uh, I have a, a good friend who. We do podcasts together a lot. He's very well known. His name is Duncan Trussell. And as people yeah. who listen to mine really know, we've been working for years on an audio book called The Movie of Me to The Movie mm-hmm. of We. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, this fall, we expect it will see the light of day. But... Uh, Great. I Yeah. So here's one of the things that pointed to you know, to this. Uh, just I'll just read it. Uh, the process dubbed... Quote, unquote, individuation by developmental psychologists, the splitting of I from other has been occurring, obviously, since infancy. But that epiphany at age five, which you had revealed a startling awareness of the split, a moment of self-conscious estrangement, a penetrating, undeniably undeniable knowing that self is separate from the world, from this world from everything mm-hmm. then it excited me now i recognize this a fall from grace a banishment for me to the triumph of ego 38 years later i'm trying to negate that epiphany of yeah. okay i think we're still on that path are we not kanji of removing that um, completely erroneous supposition and story we are separate, therefore we will defend ourselves, therefore we will react to everything in that defense, or we will push forward to try and gratify
0: ourselves. Mm, yeah, well well, well put. <laughs> yeah, and to put that passage in context, um, that's, oh, yeah. point, that, that's pointing Sorry. to an incident. No, it's fine, that's fine. It's pointing to an incident in which um, at the age of five I was uh, lying on a sofa and suddenly had the epiphany. Um, I'm Steve Rule. I'm Steve Rule. And I ran out and told myself <laughs> and <laughs> who's <was Iron laughs> That's clothes. Yeah. yeah that's and great. um so you're right though. It's it's you know, I describe it as the fall from grace. And it's it's complicated, isn't it? Because um we certainly do experience this realm of relative phenomena as one in which there's a me and a you, and there is a separation that we need to navigate every moment of every day and at the same time there's the interconnectedness of the oneness and that's what we tend to so easily lose sight of is the interconnectedness of the oneness so to get back to that that primal experience of no separation in addition to uh realizing that self and other uh are are separate um holding both simultaneously as Dogen said um, in the uh, Genjokon fascicle of the Shobogenzo, to study the ways to study the self. So that points yeah. to the separation. Um, that points to the individuation. Yeah. And um, but he also went on to say that um, to uh, to study the, uh, to study the self is to uh, lose the self. And to lose the self is to experience the 10,000 things of the universe. So, that experience of losing the self is the experience of that oneness and interconnectedness.
1: Yeah. yeah. It is a lifetime of work, though. It is. It is for Absolutely. For absolutely. sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, for me to, I mean, the idea that I, I mean, I was blown away meeting somebody who didn't have that, you know, separation going on I could, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have put it in those terms. Now, when I think back, it was kind of like a computer that just does the right thing for everyone else, Uh, nothing of its own, needing anything. And you know, that's that's an extraordinary experience. Basically, this is still a human being. Buddha was a human being, you know, and exactly, we all have obviously have that potential.
0: Well, you know, in terms of all of us having that potential, I woke up last night in the middle of the night from a dream with yeah. the phrase clear all the channels clear yeah. all the channels and yeah. i think that's part of what you're pointing to is you know we clear all the channels and all the obscurations disappear and then we do have that complete presence of no separation which is also the complete presence of an open heart yeah. and that's that's the loving compassion
1: yeah is it ramdas called it loving awareness that was his big Teaching at uh-huh. the, in the last years of his life when he was in Maui, uh-huh. uh, a, a beautiful teaching, just enabling people to get out of this story, the story, the head trip, the attachment to thoughts, So using the breath to go into the center of your being. And I am loving awareness. And eventually there's just a love and awareness. Right. Know, beyond right. the I am part.
0: Exactly. Opening up the heart and also opening up the hara. And the hara being the wisdom seat. So, opening up to that wisdom and also to the loving compassion. Yeah, that's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah. Um, so, another through line here is uh, your, well, you said ultimately, I I, I love, I mean, for people out there, z- you know, zazen is a very rigorous practice. <laughs> okay. This yeah. isn't like the slobby bhaktis like me and others back in the day. Although we all did be passionate to <laughs> meditate, you know, we you yeah. know meditation is still very much a part of our practice. But uh, we're talking about rigorous, very rigorous, and not for for nothing, right? Uh-huh. We all have that chatter. Wouldn't it be nice not to have that constant chatter? At least, actually, the chatter will be there. The reactivity and the attachment to the chatter the grasping goes away i mean and this is one of the byproducts of uh strong meditation practice right
0: yeah and the chatter goes away too of course it always comes back
1: but yeah yeah it does subside. yeah yeah but it's 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 more beside the point right beside the point yeah um so you say uh, you sat zazen for the same reason uh thoreau went to the woods because I wish to live deliberately, he wrote, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could, if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I die, discover that I had not lived. Uh, but I think the, the most, um, maybe think the parse is living de- deliberately. Let, why don't you go ahead and talk about that? Because I think there, there can be trapped there because of of the doing i and using the will and uh, yeah. thinking control those are those are tough things, and yet there is a certainty about uh i would call it living deliberately um doing your dharma
0: doing your dharma yeah. No, this is a good point you're raising. Um, so, living deliberately can uh, be complicated by obstructions of the will. Absolutely, um, this passage you're citing uh, derives from when I was just beginning practice, and uh, there was a there's an element of determination of uh, both intention and a vow. That's really important, not only in beginning practice, but sustaining practice. But there's also um, an important element of uh, of surrender and finding, again, we, we keep returning in our conversation to this, this sense of balance, of equal poise. So balancing intention with surrender in practice. And living deliberately, I think, has a lot to do uh, simply with living in a way that's awake rather than sleepwalking and um, it's so easy to especially in our society which encourages it to lapse back into some kind of soporific state of sleepwalking um and what we're really being called to do is to uh-huh. to stay awake as everybody knows that's simply what the the word buddha means it means to be awake to be yeah. an awakened one yeah. so um to live in a way that's fully alive what i uh what i use to uh to to framework it is be clear be kind be present um that's really what it is to live in a way that's awake be clear about the nature of reality not deluded be kind not self-centered and um and be present not distracted be clear be kind be present so simple yeah so simple but also so challenging And zazen is very rigorous for that reason, breaking down the conditioning that prevents us from being clear, being kind, being present. Um, So it takes some deliberation, takes some effort, takes some will, um, takes some rigor. You know, zazen is not simply a relaxation technique as it's branded and marketed in our society, in our consumerist celebrity-worshipping cultures, our secular materialist culture. Um, you know, I tell people sometimes if all you want to do is relax, just lie in a hammock with a margarita. But, uh, you know, that's that not what Zazen good. is about.
1: Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, of. that sounds <laughs>
0: good. <laughs> but, you know, if you want to be clear, be kind, and be present and live in a way that's fundamentally sane, uh, then, uh, you know, Zazen is one technique that I've found in my own experience can can really um, be conducive to helping to make that happen.
1: Mm. Yeah. Now, one of the other things, uh, of course, your deep uh, commitment to Zazen on one hand, and in the other, you've been a writer in your life. I mean, all mm-hmm. the way, you know, you were, it was noted when you were in high school, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so then ensued a dichotomy, which most people on the mm-hmm. spiritual path, it doesn't have to be Zen, experience the dichotomy between I'm I'm doing spiritual practice, quote unquote, and then the rest of the time I'm, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a student, I'm a advertising exec, whatever,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and those two absolutely stay completely at odds with each other. And uh, you, but talk about how you managed to work through it because it was something that you really. Uh, needed to work through.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you're bringing this up, Raghu. Um, What you're pointing to, I think, um, speaks directly to the challenges that lay practitioners are encountering in American Buddhism. My particular dilemma is um, related to that, but also specifically has to do with uh, the tension, as I experience it, Between uh, being a writer, which for me, uh, for better or for worse, invokes this entire Western romantic, romantic with capital R obviously, Uh. Western romantic tradition of uh, what it means to be a writer, which is fundamentally self-expression. It's about the self. And, And then I've got this Zen Buddhist practice, which is fundamentally about realizing no self. And so, the tension for me uh, that I'm still working with and living with has to do with how do I balance this Western Romantic tradition of writing, coming out of the tradition, you know, early 19th century of Keats and Shelley and Coleridge and the Bronte sisters and Blake and so on, with um, this Buddhist tradition of of cultivating no-self and holding both in harmony, Mm-hmm. So that they're mm-hmm. not in conflict.
1: Exactly.
0: It's ongoing for me. I th- I you know, I think I'm finding a little more balance to go back to that word that we're uh that we're coming back to so frequently here today. But um but it's an ongoing issue for me and it's fascinating. I come to it uh with curiosity and I I investigate it as an act of inquiry. Um, but it is ongoing.
1: Good to have a sense of humor.
0: <laughs> it right. sure is, yeah. <laughs> Sure helps. Lightens the yeah, lid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Because we're so, I mean, we're absolutely so self-serious. It's uh, <laughs> troubling.
0: Yeah. Especially I sometimes see. in spiritual circles. So. Yeah,
1: really. <laughs> really. What's this? Uh, so there's a term called Muga. And I've never heard that before. The Zen principle. What? To explain that. Mm. I mean, I want to know what that, because it's. Self becomes you know, erased, I understand, but...
0: You understand pro- that, yeah. This is a term that um, Basho uh, invoked frequently. It's complete identification uh, with, uh, with the object. Uh, in his case, the object that's being, writ- being written about. So, uh, the idea essentially is uh you become the pine tree that you're writing about. There's mm. no separation of self and other. Um, you know, we have a tradition, again in the Western Romantic tradition, of you know the the negative capability that Keats talked about, or the objective correlative later in the modernist tradition that Eliot talked about. It's not quite the same thing. This this uh tradition of Muga Is about direct identification, Um, no separation, Um, and that intimacy. Intimacy, yeah, I think it's tantric. That intimacy, I think is tantric. Yeah, yeah, I think you could say that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's that's cool. I'd like to investigate a little bit more. Uh, Um, By the way, you have some neat quotes in here that you've gotten from other people. Head chapters. Uh, This George Eliot one is uh from middle March. It's an uneasy lot at best to be present at this great spectacle of life and never to be liberated from a small, hungry, shivering self. Isn't that
0: amazing? Isn't that amazing? I was so stunned. I was reading Middlemarch and I came across that. And, oh, yeah. you know, in, an, in a mid 19th century novel, there it is.
1: shit! <laughs> yeah, it's just perfect. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's cool is some of the koans that are, that are of course, they're a primary teaching uh, thing in, in Zen. Um, oh, Shall I read one? I'm going to read one. A monk sure, asked 9th century Chan teacher, Cao Shan. What are you going to do about yourself? Teacher said, who can do anything about me? Why don't you kill yourself, the monks asked. No place to lay hold of, the teacher said.
0: Hey. Uh,
1: These are so great. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that's a part of the book where I'm really looking deeply into the themes of death and loss. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's the part of the book about people I've uh, known and loved who committed suicide. And Mm -hmm. so having to go deeply into... um, uh, what it means to confront mortality and what 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 is it the death of the self um in re, in regard to suicide and looking at that um trying to understand that
1: mm. yeah, I used to talk to Ram Dass quite a bit about that uh, and it is a very complex subject obviously <laughs> but um There, even to the point, though, I mean, let's just think about it because you and I are going to be dealing with this in the next 10, 20 years, probably. Uh, um, uh, so how many people have we seen that take on extreme measures, you know, uh, regarding preserving life, preserving uh, their life, fending off, uh, dealing with that ultimate mystery? Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty prevalent that we do that and uh-huh. um uh-huh. there is I, I mean i guess i do believe and i'm saying this now in a fairly healthy moment right uh-huh. but i i do believe that uh-huh. there karma is real
0: uh-huh. and
1: uh the span of, of, of the of one's life and the reality that it's not a moment too soon or a moment too late that and you go through the Bardo's <laughs> is is real to me. So trying to elongate that is a kind of weird concept. And yeah. that maybe, you know, you can think about that with people who uh, are so unhappy with their lives and just basically, you know, have... You probably tremendous chemical depression issues, Mm -hmm. um, that they will abrogate their lives by suicide. And is that enough? Is there a karmic effect there? I'm absolutely positive that there is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there another situation where it wouldn't be? I'm sure that's true too. So, you know, this is a, it's a very, very difficult subject, but
0: It is. It's difficult and complicated, and we only have a few minutes left, so it's a big topic. But just, um, no, I think you're right. I think there's a karmic element. I also, in the book, I explore, and I'll say this quickly, explore um, the possibility that uh, suicide, and as I say in the book, I know five people in my life, uh, Mm. good friends as well as my younger sister and um, a former girlfriend who remained very close to me um, who committed suicide. So, I've I've really had to deal with this. And uh-huh. um, I also think there's the possibility that it's a spiritual emergency that is misapprehended. That what, what the spiritual emergency consists of is a desire to have the small ego self uh, diminished. And it becomes misread as a literal desire, desire to annihilate the self. And so this self-annihilation in the extremity of the suicidal ideation, which has been described as entering this black tunnel in which everything confirms the decisions. Yeah. Um, within that black tunnel of suicidal ideation, the spiritual emergency, which essentially is healthy, of wanting to diminish the, the grasping on the small self, when it's misread as a literal desire to annihilate the yeah. self... It can end up as an act of suicide, tragically enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, there's a beautiful thing here and it, it really sits with our whole tradition. Um, it's just one simple line from you, really. When it comes to exploring the Dharma, we are in this together. Uh, and Ram Dass's famous phrase, we're all, we are walking each other home. We are all walking each other home, which is the same as how you just expressed it. Uh-huh. And I think for anybody out there uh, listening to this or watching it on YouTube, I think that this is a very important principle and it's <laughs> real. And I know many people feel very alone, either circumstantially or even if they're in a family, no, a loving, supportive family. There is, again, karma is involved. We bring stuff with us from previous incarnations, mm-hmm. and, and we are working them out. And I think that the knowledge of, uh, again, it's, the as we said earlier in the podcast from Thich Nhat Hanh, the next guru is the sangha, satsang uh-huh. community, uh-huh. and I think that that's really something to gravitate towards, so people can uh, become part of uh, whatever possible community is in your area, physically or like with on Ramdas.org. We have a fellowship all around the world. Someone just, the person who runs it actually just told me, "Oh yeah, we just got one started up in Lebanon." I go, wow. "Lebanon." Wow, that's yeah. amazing. So yeah. and 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 it's virtual, so even even if it's virtual, whatever it may be, it could be your local yoga center and doing some chanting, your local zazen, uh, Zen center to do zazen practice. Whatever it may be, that the uh getting together of other like-minded with other like-minded souls is a big deal. It is we are walking each other home mm-hmm. when we do this practice. We're in this together, you know, absolutely, 100%.
0: Yeah, it's a very big deal. And um, it's true. I mean, solitude can be healthy, but isolation can kill. And um, we live in a society that values rugged individualism and Uh emphasizes independence And um, when it becomes toxic and dysfunctional, it becomes that kind of alienation that you were talking about in your experience as a teenager earlier in our discussion. So this kind of alienation uh, can be surmounted uh, through community, through Sangha. And that's why it is so important to to, uh, emphasize that Sangha, in fact, is one of the three jewels, one of the three
1: treasures. Mm -hmm. And the Buddha said... uh, when Ananda said, which of the three is, is the one, the one, whoever mm-hmm. said it. And, uh, or Ananda said, I heard that uh, the Sangha is the one and the Sangha
0: is everything. Yeah, the Sangha yeah. is everything. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah. yeah, that's worthwhile to keep in mind, especially when we're going through tough stuff, which mm-hmm. all of us do.
0: Well, it from is. I mean, it's time. important to, yeah, it's important to bear in mind that we're always being held. We're always being held. We're always interconnected. It's easy to lose sight of that sometimes, but, um, you know, there's the traditional Zen saying, you can never fall off of the earth. We're always being held.
1: Yeah. Uh, and now there's other quotes in this book. Uh, we're just about running. Outside, but yeah, There's yeah. other quotes in this book. And, uh, you know, from some of the... Uh, Bodhidharma, uh, who, who are some Hoshan and uh hung uh, Po Hakuen I mean these are all and i'm not that familiar with Zen I'm pretty familiar just because I speak to people like you all the time
0: <laughs> right <laughs> on the podcast so
1: I get to learn um, now uh you know so I'm just trying to pick one out um. What is the holy truth of Buddhism? Mm -hmm. The emperor asked Bodhidharma, right? Mm -hmm. And Bodhidharma answered, completely full emptiness, no limits, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing holy about it. (laughs) That's so, so great. Yeah, I love that. And we should just say one last thing, an emptiness, which is the most misconstrued Buddhist term, I believe, in -hmm. the whole lexicon. And it is not about nothingness, everybody. Absolutely Mm -hmm. not. Uh, Bob Thurman, who I think, you know, the... I know Bob yeah. yeah you know Bob so he calls it uh emptiness is the womb of bliss mm-hmm.
0: yeah it contains everything yeah, yeah, yeah exactly we're, we're
1: yeah. and 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 self we're talking about yes self is absolutely abrogated by practice and the self we're talking about is that little guy in the head that is judging <laughs> commenting uh, it's, that's what our movie of me thing is about. Actually, my friend Christian das thought of it and he talks about it. you wake up in the morning and it's, you're the I, producer, the writer, the director, the lead actor. You're in fact, you I, even write the reviews. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the yeah, movie Christian. of me. And that's the self that we are engaging with. And, and that's what you are talking about in this book, engaging it, of course, through, through Zen. And it's it's uh, philosophy and practices. And <laughs> here's I there's the coup d'etat kanji. Um and this is from I-Q- iquyu. How do I pronounce uh-huh. that? Uh, E-Q. E-Q. eq eq Yeah. Um, who I have encountered before, and maybe I have some connection with him because ah. this speaks to me one glimpse of the true human being, and we are in love. <laughs>
0: Is that <laughs> that, that is
1: so great. I can't yeah. even tell you. I was just at a big event commemorating the 50th anniversary ah. of Ninkaroli Baba leaving that body in Taos. We have a big monkey temple. It was just a, a ball. and right. um, But there was over a thousand people and not that big an area, right, on this land in the middle of Taos. And so meeting a lot of people. And because we're in this field of energy at this moment everyone was really it wasn't hard to see and get a glimpse of the true human being so we had a lot of love moments it was really Mm. wonderful so
0: beautiful beautiful yeah
1: thank you for being here kanji
0: thank you ragu i'm really looking forward to a movie of me movie of we congratulations
1: Yeah. yeah let's see what happens with that yeah and oh everybody uh We will have in the show notes a way for you to uh, get a hold of Appalachian. It's Appalachian. You said Appalachian, but I lived in in North Carolina
0: for a while. uh, They were telling me Appalachian. You're absolutely right. In the south, it's Appalachian. In the north, it's Appalachian. Really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's a new (laughs) fact. (laughs) Anyhow, links will be there for you to order the book, get the book. And connect uh, with uh, Kanji, who has a website, and you'll be advised of his doings. And, uh, yeah, again, it's been a pleasure. Real pleasure uh, for me, Raghu. Thank you so much. uh, Enjoyed every
0: moment. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Everybody, we'll see you. This is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network, and we shall see you next week.